eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. A little bit of a prelude before we get going on this episode. Uh, We recorded this on Sunday afternoon, about an hour after a tweet went out uh, with Desmond Ricks essentially saying that Florida State had stopped recruiting him. A good 15 to 20 minutes of the podcast is spent on that topic uh, because it largely represented a bigger talking point that we planned on discussing already with Florida State, which was some of the the strange recruiting developments at several positions, uh, where some positions are really strong, others not so much. So we talk about the Desmond Ricks recruitment, but since the timing of uh, recording the podcast, we've gotten clarification from Desmond Ricks' camp, which is saying that's absolutely the case, that contact has been non-existent recently. Desmond Ricks has said that himself. Dane Draper caught up with Desmond, and he said that Whereas in speaking to some Florida State sources, uh, they said that's not quite to that extent that the recruitment has tailed off a little bit, but uh, not to the extent of there being no conversation at all. So with that in mind, just understanding that this is an evolving story, there's some he said, he said element to this. Uh, Just wanted to have the context of what we have to be most up to date before we post the podcast. So anyways... Here's our conversation on the Desmond Ricks developments, as well as the recruiting board, what's happened this summer, uh, what positions look to be healthy, which ones are in need of further evaluation and that are developing in a way that's not ideal. A little bit of a preview on Lucas Simmons, some realignment talk, and then a bit of a calendar update as well as what to expect in the coming weeks from Florida State football. So without further ado, let's get going with On the Bench. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. A slightly less monotonous voice today, but we're, we keep it serious. Chris Nee joining On the Bench, a triumphant return. Chris, I kind of burned down the podcast. I'm sorry. It's okay. I went to the mountains and the internet sucks, so I knew somebody had to carry it, but I knew you weren't the man for the job. <laughs> there. Zach Blostein. Welcome, Zachary. Oh, welcome, welcome to all of you guys. This is what? an awesome time to pod. I feel uh, like I need to. I need to send Zach like a virtual hug right now. He really needs one. He's Zach, not in a good place. Zach's having a tough time. No, that's that's fair. And we're gonna get to it. You know, let's just jump right in. Why is Zach having a hard time? Well, this podcast, as we're recording it on Sunday afternoon, we had planned this for a couple of days to just kind of do a recap of what's happened in the first month of the summer. We're in the dead period. Uh, everyone's kind of done some traveling, some time to reflect a little bit on where FSU stands, where its recruiting board stands, with different position groups. 
headed into July. Uh, and some position groups look really good. Uh, other boards don't make a ton of sense at all. We're not even talking about like whether FSU is in a healthy spot to land some top prospects, but just the way different recruitments are materializing deserve a level of uh, critiquing on our end to really kind of delve in and ask why. So with that in mind, so that's how this podcast was going to be formulated anyways. And about an hour before we started recording, uh, and yesterday Desmond Ricks, a top prospect in the 2024 class, the top cornerback, uh, a guy who we believed was pretty close to committing to Florida State not all that long ago, uh, released his top 10 through on three and Florida State wasn't on it. Not great, but that's kind of the realm like Florida State is in right now. Some position groups are recruiting at an extremely high level. Others, you're missing out on top prospects. The issue was right before the podcast got going, on three released another graphic, another one regarding Desmond Ricks. And this one was a quote from Desmond asking why Florida State was not in his top 10. Uh, Paraphrasing here, but he essentially says, Florida State, stop recruiting me. It's like they basically gave up on me. So that's our starting point here, fellas. I don't know who wants to start off, but this is kind of a kind of a rapid reaction as we just got that in real time. And, and Twitter is ablaze. It is the Elmo fire GIF GIF right now. Yeah, I'll start. Um, I think it's obviously a horrible look uh, for the program, right? Like it's obvious. Um, you do not want re- like a recruit of that, especially of that nature, a five-star prospect that goes to one of the best high schools in the country in IMG Academy to be essentially, you know, saying that FSU stopped recruiting him. They gave up on recruiting him. Um, Some context here, right? Desmond Ricks, uh, if you read his 24-7 sports profile, he has two crystal balls to Florida State. Um, I had good word on good authority from multiple people um, close to Ricks and, and at FSU that he was planning to commit to Florida State on April 8th. Um, that was the plan. He, I was told he wanted to build up the class, the 2024 class. He wanted to create a pipeline at IMG Academy. And he grew up a major FSU fan. Obviously, that did not happen. He still visited for the spring game. Um, I think it was the weekend of that, of the 8th. I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but he did visit after that date, I know. Um, he said he wasn't ready to commit, but that FSU was his leader. We have a video of that interview on the Knowles 24-7 YouTube page. You can check that out. Um, so that all happened, right? And then we don't really hear much uh, between FSU and, and Ricks since then. Um, he didn't mention them in, in you know articles at seven on camps and stuff. So we're like, okay, maybe they faded a little bit. Um, doesn't visit them in June, to my knowledge at all. And then obviously this stuff happens yesterday and today, and we see FSU is completely out of it. And according to Ricks, it's because they have not been communicating with him. So um you know, I'll let Chris give his opinion on this. I'll delve into it more uh, in a little bit, but I want to hear Chris's thoughts. Well, recruiting is a PR war, first and foremost. Much of recruiting is all about the idea of momentum, real or fake, doesn't matter. Thank you, Manny. And it's all about PR, and FSU lost the PR battle today. That's a horrendous quote to be on social media. And then you have subsequently other defensive back recruits, Jalen Bachway, Sharif Denson, I believe, couple of others. Uh, KJ, I believe, was another one that yeah, chimed KJ in there. Bolden, five-star. Yeah, KJ number, Bolden. Number one. Chimed in with a similar sentiment of, yeah, that happened to me too, or yeah, he's not lying, things like that. It's just not a good look. You can't have that on a Twitter sphere. You can't have that on social media. 
true, not true, doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's a bad, bad look. It's bad for PR. It's already a position where FSU took a massive PR hit back in December, January, when the whole Travis Hunter thing transpired. And here we are. And truthfully, DB recruiting has been generally a massive mess for FSU here now in the last six and a half, seven months. And it just keeps piling up. And at some point, like, you know, the whispers become really loud. This is on the heels of Avery Stewart picking Kentucky over Florida State. And Zach and I had documented like that recruitment. And I think NIL was a factor and FSU resources are, uh, well, stronger than I think a lot of people think. Uh, they're not unlimited and you have to be cognizant of, of how you allocate them. And and I was totally made sense to me. Uh, however, just Chris is mentioning the PR perspective of this for Florida State and optics, right? It's one thing to lose out uh, Desmond Ricks and not be in his top 10 or top five. That's not great, but it is what it is. That's the that's the world you're living in right now at Florida State. You're not generally recruiting uh, elite players at every single position group. It's just that's the reality of, of having a coach who's struggled to net wins in his first couple of years due to very, a variety of circumstances. However, that quote floating around the Internet, like Chris said, is not good. It's not good because it allows other recruits to start talking. And this goes back to the Travis Hunter debacle in December. When that happened on that day, the the black eye that Florida State took from an optics standpoint, uh, very much so to me, made Florida State a place that didn't seem cool to a lot of prospects. That's how I viewed it at the time. I think that's something that Florida State continues to combat. Uh, to where it's easy to pile on and take shots at Florida State, or uh, maybe not cool to put them in your in your top ten or, or top five group. But but then to start putting into the other part of this context of people, I'll I'll just say it: if you're not recruiting one of the best players in the country at his position group, there better damn well be a, a good reason behind it. You can't not recruit Desmond Ricks unless there's a huge reason why he was taken off your board. Uh, to have yeah, that lack of communication is not not good. And it's not about getting them, not getting them, being on a top five, not being on a top five, top ten, top, you know, so on and so forth. It's about quietly fading away. And in this case, it didn't quietly fade away. FSU, you know, got hung out to dry basically here on Sunday by a quote that's on a graphic that's not going to magically go away. And you got other kids chiming in on the exact same subject. It's just not good. It's exactly. an echo chamber. And it's FSU lost a massive PR or FSU took a massive PR hit today at that position. Zach, can you talk about the echo chamber that Chris was alluding to? I, I want to talk about the specific recruits that are that are discussing it and kind of saying, yeah, something similar happened to me. Yeah, well, on the Instagram post from Hayes Fawcett, the guy that made the graphic um, of Des or of uh, Desmond Ricks's quote. Um, Zach's got Destin Hill on the brain still. Yeah, man, just so much trauma. Um, yeah, but multiple recruits are in here uh, saying, you know, similar things happen to them. KJ Bolden, a five-star prospect in the 2024 class, um, also mentioned that uh, the number three recruit in the, the 2024 class, uh, that's KJ Bolden. Jalen Mbakwe is a four-star defensive back also in that class. Also to note, right, these are 2024 prospects. By the NCAA rules, schools aren't technically allowed to, to go and call them out of the blue. Um, the contact has to be initiated, I believe, by the actual prospect. Um, but that's not a rule that is really followed. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. Like, it's not it's not a rule that's followed. So 
um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can say, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, right? They didn't want to um, break the rules. Um, but I know of like every 2024 recruits getting actively recruited by these schools. So um, it's not, it's not a huge deal in that sense, but I, and I think uh, the, the, the point stands true. Um, FSU lost a huge or took a huge PR hit today. Um, and all these prospects men, are mentioned um, kind of are piling on. Um, and, and I want to know, I, I said something on Twitter afterwards, um, basically saying that this isn't the first time uh, something like this has happened. And you can kind of see it from the comments as well um, on, on that post uh, of a guy like KJ Bolden. Sharif Denson uh, is a four-star defensive back in 2023. You know, he's a little bit lesser of a ranked prospect, but someone that FSU was still interested in um, said the contact w- was kind of um, limited in, in recent months. Um, and he's actually committed to UF now. So, um, yeah, and I want to know it on last cycle. There were two defensive back prospects, five stars. Um, one is Tony Mitchell. I believe he's currently committed to Alabama. And then A.J. Harris committed to Georgia. Um, obviously, you know, argument aside, you could say, oh, FSU wasn't going to land these kids in the end. Um, but but it was a similar thing, right? So both of those guys, that was the spring game where everything was still shut down. Um, I was there and I organized that event where all the recruits met up um, and they had a great time uh, by all accounts. I, I talked to multiple sources at the time and all of them were like, it, it was in consensus that they felt they they were at least the top team for both of those guys. I got, you know, I have, I have proof. Um, I'll just say that, that I, that AJ Harris was planning to commit to Florida state at some point um, around that time. Tony Mitchell at the very least, FSU is his top school. Multiple of the commits were telling me that they felt that he was going to join the class. Um, and it, it was, they were both in the same boat, right? Um, you know, a couple months passed. We don't hear as much from them. This is kind of identical to the Desmond Rick situation. Obviously, they didn't come out and say that FSU wasn't communicating with them. Um, there could have been other factors at play. But Tony Mitchell visits in early June for their league camp, never visits Florida State again. A.J. Harris, after that spring game visit, after telling Josh and I at the spring game outside of Doak that FSU is his top school or one of his top schools at the very least, doesn't visit FSU again. So I question what happened at the same position, five star prospects. Is there something, you know, is there a trend here? Like um, at the time, you know, FSU was had that buzz, obviously, with Travis Hunter committed. They were in it for multiple five star, four star prospects. So at the time, we we didn't think much of it. These were underclassmen, guys that were, were not even signing in the in the current year. But this is the same exact situation that's happening with Desmond Ricks, right? He, after that spring game visit, he never made a visit to FSU in June. So what's happening, right? Like that's what I'm questioning. It, it just I don't know, like, because there could be a reason why they're not recruiting Desmond Ricks. But is there a reason why? They didn't recruit Tony Mitchell and AJ Harris, and both those guys ended up at the what the top two programs in the country. It it doesn't check out to me. What do you guys think? There is a bit of a trend that you're alluding to, Zach, and I think that it is fair to point out that Florida State, when it comes to the DB recruiting, like okay, so there is a trend. Uh, we could also say that there needs to be a little bit more context though. We're reacting to the Desmond Ricks recruitment itself, like within an hour of, of that graphic being dropped. And it was an explosive quote and there's no doubt about it. Uh, and we had concerns about the defensive back recruiting beforehand. So while we can say safely, like for context, I like, get yeah, a little bit more information is fair to discuss. Uh, it's also about 
we've talked about it four or five times on this podcast already about public relations and optics is about controlling the message and not allowing this to happen. Uh, and for whatever reason, there is a, a consistent theme of defensive back recruiting, kind of not having the structure and the path that you would ideally like. And that's not even talking about results. Uh, Chris has discussed this multiple times on the podcast before the DB recruiting uh, in the end of this, this past 2022 cycle with the junior college prospects and the transfer prospects, guys would come to campus, not commit. I don't think FSU pushed super hard for any of those guys, but again, optics, like for people like us talking about on the podcast to have some context or for people who have, less context, people who are just on Twitter, on message boards, they don't have the full story necessarily to see you losing out on guys over and over again. Oh, it's not good. Uh, it's not It's not good. It's not ideal. And then the results are the results. You got Azaria Thomas and Sam McCall this past class. That's, that's good. Uh, you did not get Travis Hunter in a way that was very public and very, very poor for Florida State optically. That, that was bad. And right now, the recruiting in 2023 so far is not fantastic. And, and now 2024 is also uh, looking to be problematic as the board is not really developing the way you would like it to. So speaking of 23, they get Quindarius Jones, a guy who I admittedly am very high on, liked a great deal at the elite camp. And they took him largely off of the evaluation of that day. They also saw him prior to that day. But I think what he did in that setting for them personally stood out to him. But then other DBs, we know they like a great deal. Makari Vickers, he's about to put out a top three. FSU will not be part of that top three. Local kid will almost certainly go elsewhere, barring something happening down the stretch. That drastically changes that recruitment. They just missed out on Avery Stewart here lately. That's been well documented. We've talked about that a good bit. Robert Billings is a safety in Georgia that they like a lot. I personally think they sit second there in conversations with him. The issue is that Clemson sits first, and I'm not sure they're going to move off first. FSU desperately needs to get him on campus at the end of this month and try to keep him from committing to Clemson before that point happens in time. And then after that, I don't really know where they go with the DB board. I mean, there's other guys, you know, I recently wrote about a John Carius LJ who's up there in Alabama, LJ green, who's a talented athlete, basketball, football kid. It's kind of coming into his own body these days, but you know, he put out a top six or eight. I forget exactly what it was. FSU's by far the best school on that list. But I don't know that he's a kid that's a certain take for FSU. I just don't know where they're going with their DB recruiting. I felt like in the 23 cycle, they were late on really going on Jakeem Jackson, for example. He's got a top six with a decision date locked in. FSU's not part of that top six. I think there's still communication in that camp, but you know, I feel like it's probably a too little, too late type of situation. There's just too much of that going on at that position continuously. For as good as the two gets were in the last cycle that are now currently on campus and who will contribute to FSU, it's just, it's like it's falling off a cliff. And it's ultra concerning to me. And I don't really know if there's a better way I can phrase that than just how I did. And, and adding to that, Chris, and I want to throw this out there to you guys because people are going to, we need to be direct here. Like this is Marcus Woodson's position group that we're talking about, Adam Fuller's too, to an extent, he's the defensive coordinator and the safety coach. But really, Marcus Woodson's the guy who has his hand in, in the cookie jar for cornerback recruits. He's the cornerback coach, and he's thought of as one of the better recruiters on the staff. Uh, and so to me, that also is the, the trend that we're seeing here in mid-July is a level of concern as well. This is someone who's supposed to be one of your better recruiters on the staff, and the board just doesn't make a ton of sense right now in multiple classes. Uh, and honestly, like with the Travis Hunter, I, I know that was kind of an act of God as it's been described by some people, 
before, but you know, this Zaria Thomas was um, a an, an ode to working hard and remaining in a commitment, but also kind of fortuitous that there was a lot of coaching changes at programs that were recruiting as area Thomas. So you were also very close to, to maybe just stepping away with just Sam McCall and that cycle too. I don't know if that's unfair, but it is something to talk about like that. There are issues with, with cornerback recruiting, or at least some problematic trends. Yeah. In a grander scope beyond just DB recruiting, we talked about in late June, I wish everybody on this staff recruited like Alex Atkins, where they develop a board, have tiers, systems to it, develop good relationships, where they have you comfortable if they miss on target A, that there's a target B and a target C that's being evaluated who might move up. I don't feel that way about multiple other boards for FSU as a team, linebacker, defensive back, tight end, even running back. In the running back room, I've said many times, I feel it's a comfortable room. It's good. But FSU can recruit running back at a higher level. They're going to miss on Hollywood Smothers here when he goes to Oklahoma in about a week, or actually, I guess, in about four days now. And then uh, Sam Singleton's a guy that I still feel pretty good about where FSU stands with, but I'd feel a lot better if they had closed on that one. They don't close on some guys at some spots where they need to. July is a closing month. June is a lot of work. July is closing. Some guys are going to go longer term to December, but a lot of guys are going to know where they're going in July or August. And FSU's got to get better at closing down some of these recruitments and shoring up certain things. And I've been thinking about this, and well beyond anything that happened today, I've been thinking about this. I think there's a certain level of comfort with, well, if we miss on these guys, we're just going to go to the portal. And I don't particularly care for that idea of how to go about doing recruiting. I still think high school recruiting is extremely important. I still think a predominant amount of your incoming players being from the high school ranks is very important. I think having the safety net of the portal where, yes, they have done an effective job, and I think that's going to show again this year on the field, is good. I don't love the idea of all of a sudden your board's becoming kind of decimated and not doing as much work at developing boards deeply at all positions where you can effectively recruit. If you miss on multiple guys and you don't like the next tier of the board, then cool, go to portal. But I feel like there's a top tier at some positions and then no tears underneath it. And I'm not a fan of that idea. I find that to be lazy or at least concerning. Mike Norvell himself has said that he wants to build a program through the high school ranks. I mean, that's, that's his methodology. That's what he ideally wants. So that's what Chris is outlining. Isn't his own opinion that that's what the head coach, the, the football program ideally wants. What, what position groups as we kind of transition this to the big picture, the current 2023 board, do we feel good with right now whether it's guys who are committed guys who are remaining we'll start off with offensive line yes and defensive line and that's where it ends for me Hmm. quarterback you're in july crucial month for the quarterback position and you've got a committed guy who you know we'll see if it holds and we've obviously discussed that in depth for i feel like six seven weeks now yeah i don't think we're out of the woods there but it is what it is brock glenn's clearly kind of waiting to see what happens with i presume austin novasad and maybe also wants to develop that relationship with LSU. But I think Ohio State's kind of the grenade pin for him there with that recruitment. I just spoke on running back. They missed on one of their two top targets in Smothers. They have a great chance with Singleton. They've done a great job there. He told me in recent days he wants to get to Penn State. He mentioned Penn State, and I believe it was Tennessee during his exit interview at FSU as places he may potentially go. So that's not out of left field. But again, closing time. You have to close on some kids at some point. Wide receiver recruiting are setting themselves up entirely for failure for the second straight cycle in the high school ranks. You know, 
Andy Jean yesterday puts out a top five. FSU expects to be one of those five. They're not. Alabama stole their spot. And Alabama's a much better school, but that kid's probably not going to Alabama. He's probably going to Florida or Miami, Georgia or Texas A&M, well before anywhere else. And FSU was expected to be the fifth with those four schools I just listed off. Hakeem Williams is a the guy they've pushed all the chips in on. Cool. Good luck. Like, you know, you got A&M and Georgia competing for that kid. And you also got the in-state schools. It's not going to be an easy one. Do I think FSU can attain him? Yes. I think it's a realistic target they can attain. The issue for me is that if they miss on Hakeem Williams and Shelton Sampson, who's another major target at the receiver position, I don't know where they go next. I feel like they've done a poor job of developing those secondary targets at those positions that they're going to fall back on, who would also be very good gets. I'm not here for scramble mode. I'd much rather know where they're going next. And I feel too often when I look at position, we don't know where that is. Tight end, they had their tight end decommit. They had another kid that they liked that they were evaluating commit elsewhere in uh, the Central Florida kid from Orlando, who Zach can chime in with the name because I'm forgetting Dylan, it here. Dylan Wade. Dylan Wade. Thank yeah. you, Dylan Wade. Um, I like Anthony Miller a lot. I'm on record as that. I think they'll get him on campus. He's kind of a different bird with a sense of visits he's very good friends with demarco ward linebacker commitment so they have a shot there but again like that's a board that's not very well developed i know they intend to evaluate some other kids and see what some kids do in the fall but it, you know you're in july recruiting constantly is sped up and you're in july and i just feel like there's boards like you look at o-line you know these are four guys at the top they love these are three four guys at the next level and there's one or two others they're keeping an eye on after that they got like 10 guys or nine guys for three or four spots. I love it. We don't see enough of that at other positions. Linebacker's been a complete dance in the dark. You know, they take a guy, DeMarco Ward, who maybe they love him as a talent. I think he would have been easily attainable down the stretch. He's not a kid that I think they had to rush to get. But they like him, whatever, take him. If he's one of two or three in your class, it is what it is. But again, who's next out of that position? It's very hard to point that out. And we've talked plenty on this podcast about defensive back recruiting. And the fact that it just it, – it, none of it's going as scripted. None of it's going as planned. And it's not Desmond Ricks eliminating you. It's a matter of you just don't seem to know exactly where you're going, what you're trying to achieve at this spot. I, I much prefer, from an organization standpoint, know what you're trying to achieve, how you're trying to put it together. And I feel with this group, it's either we're going for these big fish that FSU isn't going to get because they're a 5-1 team last year who, if they're lucky this year, will win eight games. And if we miss on those, then we're just going to figure it out after the fact, and we have the portal to fall back on. And I'm just, I'm not a fan of that. I, I simply don't like that theory that I'm working with in the sense of how I think they're going about their recruiting. Zach, do you have anything you need to get off your chest? No, I think I said everything I need to say. Um, we've, you know, I agree with that. I think the two positions that are being, you know, best recruited are O line and D line. Um, but even D line, man, like Chris and I were talking about, about this, like, um, just on the phone the other day, like I, if they miss on Keldrick Falk, who do they go to next? Like there's really no one near that caliber that they were really in on. Obviously, it's great that they landed him and, and you know, awesome job by, by that, you know, those coaches for getting him in the class. But, you know, if we talk about a tiered list like, like Alex Atkins has, and I really think he's the only position successfully doing that. And it's crazy because there's just no – O-line production at Florida State to point at and be like, yeah, I'm going to produce you like this guy. It's like, who's like the last FSU offensive lineman that's like um, been super successful here and then gone on to, you know, be an NFL guy? Like it, it's been a while. Um, and, it, and especially no one, I believe, under this staff. Um, so just the, the job that Alex Atkins does is, is 
stellar. Um, and, I, and I don't really think any other position group is close to him. I think D-line is the closest, but I don't think that they're um, doing as good of a job as they could. They can. Let's transition to focusing on the offensive line because that board, you know, some boards we discussed don't make a lot of sense. A lot of them lack or have something to be desired. Uh, but offensive line board does look really good. And this is coming off of a class where Florida State signed 10 different players, six of those in the prep ranks, four as transfers. And now Florida State has been pretty selective in how it's gone about recruiting. And this cycle with Alex Atkins, it's afforded itself the opportunity to cherry pick a little bit and to capitalize on some long-term relationships that Atkins has has developed. Uh, they got Rod Kearney getting him, what, like 20 minutes after of leaving a Florida official visit a couple weeks ago. That was a big, talk about public relations, like that was a big PR win for Florida State a few weeks ago and and uh, a black eye for Billy Napier at Florida. Uh, so you're allowed to flip the stuff over pretty quickly and you could win these, these PR battles. And Alex Hackers is certainly carrying his weight right now. I say all this to bring up that Florida State is about 24 hours, actually a little bit less than that, away from potentially – getting Lucas Simmons, four-star four offensive tackle prospect from Clearwater uh, Academy. Uh, however, he is a Swedish-born prospect. I think he's 109th nationally on the composite, top 150 on 24-7 sports rankings. Fellas, this is someone that FSU feels like it's in pretty good spot for right now, but I don't know if it's – a. there's no crystal balls for him that we've put in. Although, what, you guys aren't putting in crystal balls anymore, right? Is that done? I'm scarred. Chris has converted me. <laughs> the sabbatical is back on, boys. <laughs> uh, I like that Zach a few weeks ago was like, we have to be involved with crystal balls. We can't sit it out. And Chris is like, no, nah, I'm going to sit it out. And now Zach's been emotionally well, destroyed. We had an Avery Stewart pre-write following his <laughs> official visit with us being told he's committing to FSU. So we put in a crystal ball and he goes to Kentucky. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. Like, it's, yeah, we're, we're in a landscape where it's kind of an ineffective, stupid thing. Can I get an NIL deal crystal ball? Ooh, there you go. To not put in the crystal ball? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> There's many people on the message board volunteering for this immediately. I, I can see yeah, that. We right should now. start a fund. So um, I can't convince you guys to put in a show crystal ball then for Lucas. No. Okay. Raise this say, amount of money and we will stop putting in crystal balls. <laughs> at this moment, <laughs> if I was hostage. entering one for him, it would be for FSU. I'm not going to enter one. I have no intention of entering one between now and when he announces. Okay, so let's fill in the people uh, what's going on with Lucas Simmons' recruitment right now here on Sunday afternoon, what we believe to be happening, Zachary. Well, Dane Droper, Dane Draper, Houdini. Houdini. seven Put up a scoop yesterday. He talked with Lucas and um, basically said that, you know, he hadn't made his decision yet. This was uh, as of Friday night, I believe. Um, we're now on Sunday morning uh, or afternoon, actually. Um, and, and Andrew Ivins uh, of 24-7 Sports put in a uh, – or posted a buzz piece basically about Lucas Simmons' his, his decision um, heading into his announcement tomorrow. Uh, he believes that Florida State sits in a really good spot um, and that Tennessee is the top uh, competition for the Seminoles. I believe that. Um, I, that's kind of what we've heard. Um, USC is the other school that's been involved as well. Um, but But – Ivans feels good about FSU, and and after checking in with people um, today and yesterday, I, I'm of that same opinion. I, if, if he were to decide right now, um, I think my pick would be my imaginary crystal ball would be on Florida State, um, but I, I might be with Chris on this one. I don't think I'm going to enter one. 
Yeah, it's relationships. At the end of the day, NIL matters in this recruitment, as it does in pretty much every recruitment of an upper-tier recruit these days. But in this case, it's relationships. And Alex Atkins, Cooper Williams, FSU staff as a whole has done a better job than anybody else in the country at developing relationships with this young man. Now, there are relationships at Tennessee that predate that because of his father, the ties of Josh Heupel and his dad from the Oklahoma days. So there is some of that going on. So I don't want to dismiss other schools as not having good relationships. But specific to Lucas Simmons, Alex Atkins, I think, has done the best job of any coach in the country at recruiting that young man. And I think he's done a very good job of tailoring his relationship to the young man. And I think that's mattered to Lucas. This is a kid that FSU focused in on at Mega Camp last year, June of 2021. Fast forward 13 months, I think they're going to come away with his commitment because of the relationship that they built over those 13 months with Lucas Simmons, with his family when they came for the official visit that they did an exquisite job on, from what we understand, and with the people that are very close to Lucas Simmons at a Clearwater Academy International, basically his home away from home, his family away from home. I think FSU's done a great job with all three of those groups of people, namely Lucas. And I think in the end, that's what's going to help them win out. So you guys can tune in to CBS Sports Live at 1 p.m. on Monday to check out the Lucas Simmons commitment that's exclusive to CBS uh, slash 24-7 sports. So, uh, check it out tomorrow. We'll hold our breath collectively to see if Florida State can kind of garner a little bit more positive momentum on the recruiting trail uh, going into the July 30th uh, time frame where we can start getting guys back on campus again. Chris, it's been a, a couple of weeks since you've been on the podcast. Is Florida State going to the Big Ten or the SEC? And are they going next week or when's it happening? So I've loved the realignment talk, just sitting back, taking it and having some conversations with some people. And the truth is not many people know what goes on with realignment because very few people are involved in the actual decisions. You know, presidents and chancellors usually are because their jobs kind of hinge on it going the right way. ADs may be, I think in FSU's case, the AD is certainly involved because, well, he, he's more the sports-minded guy of those two type of people at FSU. And I think the president would tell you the same thing. FSU certainly is looking for a way out. If you're smart and you're in the ACC, you're looking for a way out, especially when your value is so greater than what the league can offer you currently and probably in the future. But I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I think Notre Dame is the linchpin of all of this, a grenade pin. It needs to be pulled for a number of reasons. One, they need to find their home and where it's going to be, and that's going to kind of be the next seismic shift most likely. Two, I think them challenging the grant of rights from the ACC from a non-football perspective will have some significance for those who are going to – have to potentially challenge it from a football perspective and also figuring out of what it would cost legally to do this. Uh, you know, whether that's a financed fee of departing a conference and paying it over time, whether that's the dissolving of the grant of rights, which is probably unlikely because ESPN has got themselves a pretty sweetheart deal there. There's a whole lot of moving pieces. Do I think FSU will eventually move? Yeah, I do. I think we're quick hyper beaming towards two super conferences how quick that happens, I don't think it's this offseason. I think it's a situation that at least permeates into the next offseason, if not a couple more years, as uh, TV deals are worked out and things are kind of figured out over the next 24 to 36 months. But do I think FSU eventually moves? Yes, I do. Do I think it's definitely the SEC? I do not. I think it could certainly be the Big Ten, especially for TV market reasons. Do I think they're a player for both conferences? I do. Do I think they're going to do it by themselves? I do not. I think they need multiple dancing partners to do this, and they need Notre Dame to be kind of the one to start the dance. But it, it's going to be one of those things when it happens, it happens. And I don't think I'm going to know 
that's happening right before it happens. And I don't think most people are going to know. If you think about it, USC, UCLA happened with very little knowledge before the fact. Texas OU happened with very little knowledge before the fact. This is how this happens. It's a very small group, presidents, chancellors, TV executives, and the people that run the conferences. Those are the people that are very much involved in this process. And most of them are not going to be very forthcoming with it until it's an actuality. And the people who break the news are probably going to be ones who are usually breaking that sort of news as well. Yeah, right? or, or work for a particular TV network that can feed yep. the news, yes. Yep. Uh, so that's typically how that stuff goes down. Uh, real quick on that, Chris, my gut, I just think – I think it's more likely that Florida State – I think this makes more sense that Florida State joins the Big Ten than it does the SEC. I know that's not the prevailing logic, but I think based on what the Big Ten wants to do with uh, – TV footprints being important, getting in the state of Florida will be a priority for the Big Ten. Uh, that's kind of my gut is that Florida State is going to be attractive, very attractive to the Big Ten uh, in that regard. Well, you have people gasping right now because they're thinking about geography and the SEC and tradition and all of that. And I agree with those people because I'm also a lover of those things. Nostalgia is beautiful. But in this new landscape, we're trending towards with recruit or I'm sorry, with realignment. That's just not a reality of it. The reality of it is bigger, badder, more money, more TVs, more revenue generation, more places to kind of go to. I mean, you've got conferences going Atlantic Ocean to Pacific Ocean now. So it's not about geography anymore. Which one would I prefer? It would probably be the SEC because I just, I'd rather go to those towns and watch sporting events in those yeah. towns and having to travel to the Big Ten. But I think FSU holds FSU and Clemson because I think that's the dancing partner FSU would probably be paired with the most. I think they're extremely appealing to the Big Ten because of where they put the Big Ten into, the value both of those universities hold, the fact that both of those university, universities are very good athletically kind of across the board these days and have gotten better and are at least dedicated to being good in multiple sports. I think that matters. The one thing to keep in mind with the Big Ten is AAU membership, academics, all of that. I think that you know, to some in that conference, it still holds weight. We'll see if it matters when you're just talking about TV money and revenue generation and realignment. Some of that stuff, the things of yesteryear that people cared about, whether it's history, tradition, academic prestige, I think some of that's obviously going to go away if we are trending towards 18, 20, 24 team super conferences. So you're not looking forward to covering a game in Bloomington, Indiana in late November. I actually have no issue with Bloomington. I think it's probably Rutgers is the one that rubs me the wrong way. No offense to anybody that loves Rutgers. I just I have no interest in going there. Oh, New York City. Come on. You can, you can make it work. Okay. Or not. All right. So that's pretty much it for this episode of On the Bench. Uh, this has all kind of been gravitating towards one talking point with recruiting kind of being up and down depending on, on what position group you're looking at. And that's at Florida State really needs the season to start, needs to get here. That's the only way you're fixing this is to kind of change the narrative yourself. Uh, the public relations stuff, the new car smell for Florida State, totally gone. I think that was all out the window uh, after after last year with Jacksonville State and then just capitalized, even with the turnaround and the after the 0-4 start, even though you turn things around, just the Travis Hunter uh, as an explanation point to that, that whole debacle. I say all that because the season will start and you can kind of start forming and changing the narrative a little bit if you start winning games. Uh, we're a month and change away from the season starting. But, Chris, we're only a couple weeks away from, from preseason camp beginning, as well as some ACC kickoff stuff. So some programming notes for people as we can kind of finally start turning our attention to football season. Yeah, ACC kickoff is here in uh, 10, 11 days. We'll be in Charlotte. They'll have an Atlantic day, a coastal day, and then we'll say bye to the divisions forever if we do end up sticking in this conference, which 
God, hopefully we don't, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, ACC kickoff is going to be interesting because obviously realignment is going to be a huge talk, talk of it. I think the infiltration of transfers into the league and how they impact the league, you know, all ACC type candidates who are new to the league, I think it's going to be another interesting discussion. Last year, transfers were kind of the new shiny thing. Now it's sort of what some teams are wholeheartedly being built upon. You know, it's going to be interesting. I think looking at some of the schools, what they were last year versus what they will be this year, FSU is certainly one of those in that category. I think Pitt's another one of those with quarterback change for them, for example. There's others. But that's probably going to be some of the talking points of the ACC kickoff. And, yeah, the biggest talking point is going to be the future of the ACC. But I don't know how many answers we get there. I'm on record as being a fan of the new commissioner of the ACC, Jim Phillips, but he's been handed kind of a mess, and I'm not wholeheartedly convinced he's going to be able to clean it up or save it. Um, he may need that golden parachute and find himself back in Big Ten land before it's all said and done. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then preseason camps starting, I believe it's July 26th. It might be 27th. It's right around there. Report date's right around there. So that's two weeks and a little bit of change. FSU will kick off the season about a month after that point. Preseason practice is going to be important. This is a crucial season for FSU. We've talked about it at length. We'll talk about it a ton more over the next seven, eight weeks. But FSU's got to put together a winning record. They've got to win some games. They probably aren't going to be favored in to, you know, come home with a win. They're going to compete against some really good quarterbacks in this league this year and on this schedule. It's got to change because if it doesn't, it's going to lead to lame duck status or another change at the top for FSU football, whether it's after this coming year or in a couple years. I think this year kind of is that moment where it's going to trend one of two directions. It's either going to be a positive or it's going to be, you know, rinse and repeat. And we've been there in recent years. And I don't think anybody really wants that, but that's where it might head towards. All right. Well said, Christopher. I think that's everything we have for this episode of On the Bench. A lot to kind of process and go through. I know like a negative tone being near the podcast, but it's also us trying to be realistic and give our projection of, of what we're seeing, what we think is continuing to happen on the recruiting trail. Uh, again, I'll say the season needs to get here for Florida State very quickly. You have to start out strong and give yourself a chance to start kind of rewriting uh, the way you're viewed nationally. Uh, and you got to do some things to help yourself along the way. So, all right, for On the Bench, I'm Brendan Sinone. Been joined by Chris Nee, Zach Blossing. Thanks, fellas. Uh, we'll all catch up tomorrow if Florida State gets a commitment from Lucas Simmons. Fingers crossed because that would be uh, welcome news for the Seminoles indeed. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Let's fill up the let's fill up the people. Jesus. Three, two, one. <laughs> fill them up. Fill up people at 2756. Or, or we just leave it all on the podcast. Three, two, one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 